Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? My name is Eric, and I'm here today with Mondo Kester. Hello, I'm Mondo Kester. It is time to travel the world, or maybe stay at home. I don't know yeah. what's a better idea today. I think we're going to, you know, it's a journey, so we're going to do some traveling from the comfort of our own respective uncomfortable recording setups. We're going to cover, uh, it's the journey. So, you know, if you haven't been following along, go uh, listen to the other ones. Um, if you have been following along, congratulations. You've made it to Mondo Kane and 29 Palms in Marijuana our ongoing. and Criminal Lovers. That's the episode to start on. <laughs> It'll get you all the way through this thing. It is our ongoing look at two genres, too big to be contained in a single episode, a multi-arc episodic look at the ins, outs, and hula dances of exploitation <laughs> as well as the mysterious and wonderful world of French extreme. It's pretty obvious which is which today, although maybe not so much because the French extreme one takes place in Southern California. Um, What's more extreme than going to Joshua Tree with your friends? (laughs) I mean, Um, I'm a visionary photographer. I just had an incredible idea. I'm going to go to Joshua Tree. (laughs) Um. So uh, as as these go, we're going to try not to spoil them too much. Although one, we're going to have to spoil. It's kind of like the movie ends on a certain thing. And the other one is, you know, by the end of today's show, I'd like to find out which one is more of a documentary. That's what I really want to know. Ah, interesting. Yeah. And once again, seems to be, you know, we've just done enough of these that we are continuing to learn about the genre. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we've, uh, we've all learned enough in our exploration of these movies that we can do things like once again, pair two movies and two separate deep dives on genre here, exploitation and French extreme. And we can get a double feature dot FM style title we did it that is you know like maybe just stay at home double feature yeah we did it everyone the movies are going together let's stop doing that next time let's just fuck it all up if you want to stay at home a good place you can visit from the comfort of your couch patreon.com forward slash double feature that will get the last two of these journeys in your ear holes and uh out of our mouth holes so please patreon.com forward slash double feature. If you think this is great, it is. Congratulations <laughs> on being correct. And if you want more, uh, that's the place to ensure that that happens. It's also the place to ensure that Eric can get a bigger tent to record in. Yeah, I'm still under this uh, fucking sound blanket, which is really just an actual blanket. <laughs> Terrible. But I'm hiding from New York, the sounds of New York. I, unlike 29 Palms, don't want the constant sound of fucking traffic in the background. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, can I take a second to just uh, thank, obviously to thank you on this too with the exploitation side, but really to thank the audience. Like this has been something that I feel like on both sides, I have wanted to talk about French extreme movies so badly 
in a deeper way, in a way that covers the stuff beyond just, you know, like we'll talk about Gasper's movies today and some of the the stuff everybody knows. But I also wanted to get into the meat of the movies nobody fucking talks about. Like the movie that codified the entire uh, movement. And then I've also wanted to explore what the hell's going on with these exploitation films. And when a movement like exploitation comes into question or sort of sours in the public light because of uh, its immorality, we kind of just, I feel like right now, people are ignoring the fact that exploitation exists because it's hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I go through the world every day, Michael, and no one will fucking talk to me about French extreme movies. And no one will talk to me about exploitation films. And I thought there was no hope. And then here come the Patreons, and they're like, yeah, do whatever you want. Here, we're executive producers. I don't know, maybe watch this full awful movie. But other than that, just kind of do your thing. We like it. <laughs> that is so, I, there's nothing in my entire life where people just give me just a blank slate. You just go wild. We like your stuff. Go wild. And so we get to show up and talk about these two things that have been such sticking points for me that I honestly feel like I have no outlet to talk about. Mm -hmm. And they're so, they're cool, they're important. Exploitation is like hugely influential and the opposite of timely. Mm -hmm. So you can't even go, oh, it's timely, let me talk about it. No one will fucking discuss this stuff. And right now I'm hyper-fascinated with both and thanks to the Patreons, we're still on this journey. (laughs) That is really cool. I'm very, personally, I'm just very happy about that. That's all. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Personally, also. I just like to occasionally be genuine <laughs> as well, you know? Yeah, that's nice. It's cute. All right, whatever. Talk to me about Mondo Kane. No, you talk to me. Last week, we <laughs> did this thing where I went, yo, idiot, what do you think Mondo Kane is? Um, and now you've seen and it. I was like, I don't know, Cannibal Holocaust with vegetables? Right. So, um, so uh, briefly, you don't need to go into much detail, but like, how wrong were you on your expectation of what Mondo Kane was going to be? I mean, like super wrong. You know, I almost feel like I was reserving yeah. some of my Cannibal Holocaust fanism on the Cannibal Show, yeah, to save it for the Mondo Show. I don't know why. <laughs> it's um, it's it's really funny to me because I feel like there's there's some stonecutters esque Illuminati group that goes around and like makes people say that Mondo Kane is the next thing you should watch after Cannibal Holocaust <laughs> as sort of this grand joke. Um, I mean, you know, you decapitate a cow or whatever, but like for the most part, it's just very, it's, it's either, it's either old people or young people dancing. First of uh. all, that's, that's 50% of this movie <laughs> is just, um, is just people doing various types of dances and then the other thing about this movie is it claims, you know, it claims to be all true and, and this is all real and we didn't, there's no influence by the, by the filmmakers to show you the, the fat tribes ladies that get fattened up by the, the one virile skinny old man. Um, and so thus enter the Mondo film. Much like the last time we covered, uh, when we covered um, Man from Deep River, Blackula, we covered Marijuana, we covered um, the other one, Wild Angels. This is the beginning of the Mondo film, which actually, unlike the others, it's probably not something you know intrinsically had a whole spinoff, but Mondo became this thing. 
in exploitation cinema, which is to basically save a whole boatload of cash by pointing a camera at shit that was already happening somewhere cheaper than where you were. Yeah. The thing that I think is so fascinating about Mondo Kane specifically is that you can look at it as the as a Mondo film, as this sort of like documentary-esque look at all the different wilds of other cultures and look what these people eat and look how these people dance and all these, you know, look at these idiots running from a cow. But you get this narrator in Mondo Kane. <laughs> the best uh which is the narrator is the whole reason to show up on this movie if you want to talk about fucking snapshots of history the narrator of mondo kane and the script written for this guy i mean it is it is like the quintessential 1950s radio voice type announcer and he is just spouting blatantly ignorant and offensive American propaganda over all of these things that are happening. Just the, if you haven't seen Mondo Kane, there's this scene where he's, he's talking about like people in Singapore, you know, a developed nation. And he says something about how they like, you know, they like eat a dog and they're like, yeah, life is cheap for the yellow race. That's like literally oh my God, it's so a bad. line from the movie. It's insane. It's crazy. Yeah, of all the exploitation, of all the exploitation that we've covered, this is the one that I think is the hardest to justify, but the most fun to watch. Well, you know what's funny about the sort of like uh, casual racism of it is that it's so daft. It, it It's just like marijuana. Yeah. It's like um, reefer madness levels of mm-hmm. no intelligent person could watch it and be swayed by any of it. Right. You know, he's talking about how, um, I don't know, just even like the daily rituals of people in different parts of the country. And he like tries to make going to get a massage seem like some hocus pocus or something, like some part of a, (laughs) look at these space aliens, people from another planet. This is so unrelatable. I'm like, that's literally just a massage. (laughs) Or, you know, describe eating meat in a way that's like, yeah, man, what are you going to get a burger after this, though? Like, <laughs> this is not any fucking different than... Right. I mean, again, leave it to the exploitation films to make me invoke vegan... But it's just, <laughs> it's the purest of exploitation. That's, what, that's what's great about Mondo Kane. So please, before we, before we get far too far, if you would love to logline Mondo Kane, I would love to hear it. Mondo Kane is a nature documentary, except... There's a VO that makes it up as it goes along. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Except the guy who went in to do the VO doesn't know anything about the subject matter. And they were just like, I don't know, just, uh, you know, say facts about it. Right, right. <laughs> oh, well, about all, I'm not, I'm not really studied. No, just, you know, describe what you're seeing, make it up. Yeah. I mean, it is really, it's funny because it's all of the work of watching like, sort of outdated around the world. Like newsreel. Yeah, it's. It, I was even going to say something like History Channel or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, National Geographic, but it is, it's much more like newsreel. It's not even, you know, I don't even want to disparage National Geographic in that way because it's like, no, I'm thinking it's kind of like stock of like, footage, you know? Yeah, it's, I'm thinking specifically of like the news footage that played in like old movie theaters uh-huh. prior to, it's like somebody went, listen, they're already sitting there. Why don't we just play that for another 90 minutes? And so, you know, it is 
Sometimes you watch some of that, though, because it gives you historical context. Or, like, I just like learning. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, look at this fucking show. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like the whole thrust of why we do any of this. But, uh, you know, you do the work of watching something maybe a little old, maybe a little dry, but you're learning. But then, like, a guy comes on and just fucking lies to you the whole time about what you're seeing. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's sort of, uh, it's like a disinformation campaign or something. Yeah, I mean, that's why I referred to it as American propaganda, because there yeah, is yeah. sort of this subtle undercurrent of, like, aren't you glad you live in America instead of the savage nation of Japan? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, man, there is a, there's a weird American thing happening on today's show. Oh, yeah. But I also think this was, uh, you know, there's not only is there a theme today, but what makes this very double featurey is there's kind of a secondary theme. I know 29 Palms I've set up as a movie that is where the term New French Extremity comes from. But I also feel like we have basically been skirting around talking about Mondo films. Mm-hmm. Ever, I didn't realize how much of exploitation was just the, the kind of like yeah. faux expose. With a little bit of what we talked about with the cannibal movies, the thing that Mondo films represent in exploitation is, like I said, it's exploitation in its purest form. It's essentially now that's what I call exploitation. Totally. And they just do like a quick hit reel. And they're like, what do you think? You think it's crazy that people dance? You think it's crazy that there's still like undeveloped countries? Do you think it's crazy that people eat dogs? Do you think it's crazy that nurses march for some reason? And they just kind of like go down this hit list. And then, you know, somebody in Italy goes, well, that that whole tribe thing, that could be a whole movie. And they make Man from Deep River. And suddenly you have a genre. It's again, sort of like we talked about then, part of it, is showing people things they haven't seen. That's the big, the big mondo. The big mondo thing is showing you things you couldn't see at home, right? That's what they're really exploiting. But also, that's of course going to go to an island of women who chase men up trees because they can get their tits out and they can go. Well, in an uncivilized nation like this island nation, women walk around with their tits out, and then they try to make this extremely contrived comparison to tube tops in New York City. Well, I also love that like there there is this emerging theory that I'm over intellectualizing all of exploitation and you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess that, but also d- boobs. Yeah, it's we're going to be it's like how do we put boobs in movies? <laughs> it used to be asses and seats. Right. And I was just like, mm, I think we could get two maybe even three pairs of breasts out of that idea and that is Right. That's the anti-intellectual uh Right. Well, and it's great because if you look at, you know, one of the things that we talk about when we talk about exploitation on this journey is like, what is the point of exploitation? So once again, just to remind you, if you've forgotten, video doesn't fucking exist. If you're making money off a movie, people are going to the theater. That's what's happening for you to make money off your film. Now, in order to get people to go to the theater, you have to promise them something that they want to see And then you may or may not have to deliver it. It doesn't actually matter. Yeah. Big studios were doing this by going, it's got Clark Gable and Greta Garbo. And you went, "Eh, that's what I want to see. I want to see Clark Gable again. That's one side. But if you can't pay John Wayne money, you just promise a look at a society Americans have never seen. And then you just bullshit for 80 minutes because people have already paid. And the thing that's great about Mondo Kane is 
not only do you not have to have John Wayne money, you don't even have to have script money. You don't have to have production money. You just need to have a fucking semi-decent camera and like a friend with a pilot's license. Yeah, yeah. This is literally just people going to random places and pointing cameras at nothing. Well, and yeah, for this, you know, when we start Some of it's staged, but most of it is nothing. When you start getting into stuff like Faces of Death, it's, you know, the combination of clips that already exist. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much of this is genuinely shot for the movie and how much of it is just kind of pulled from sources. I mean, you know, know, we... We talked about this, what was it, fucking Puppet Master 5? It's like the only time in the history of Killapalooza we got a clip show movie. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that's, I mean, that's just how you stretch your dollar. You go, this already exists, let's just stack it on top of each other and hire fucking my racist uncle to talk about it half drunk, and we have ourselves a movie. Yeah, because I think the, it's strange to me as an exploitation genre, still, even after we've talked about so many of these, that it not only doesn't deliver, but it almost anti-delivers. Right. And that's uh, that's a, another uh, a lot of themes on this show today. Yeah. But it, yeah, it seems like, I mean, this is a more tame version of, you know, the kind of stuff you'd, you'd see being shouted at you by a animal rights activists in Leicester Square or something. Right. Vegan propaganda videos have more gore in them. Imagine making Mondo Kane and being like, you know what the people want to see is elderly folks hula dancing in Hawaii. Right. That's not even outside America. Sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we once again see these confusing films... Maybe this is my attempt to overly uh, intellectualize things because they <laughs> w- they double back on themselves so much they stop making sense. You know, it, we're talking about how they're not delivering on what was promised. And then we're also talking about, yeah, they promised us to show us the worst things we've ever seen. Like we just voluntarily are like, hey, where's all the slaughtered animals you promised us? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like audiences are fucking clamoring for that. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's something interesting about why people went to these. This has interested me since we started talking about it with marijuana. But it's sort of a, it's an unanswered question. It's maybe a question more for psychologists. But the things that people are willing to go to, or at least the things that somebody says people are willing to go to, like at some point, either audiences were really into bad National Geographic knockoffs, or somebody with power and influence thought they were, and that was really their like go-to idea. And it became a model, you know, that could get their money back on it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just when we've gotten this far in the journey, we're what we're talking about genres that have you know themes. We talk, I mean, black exploitation. While it's been, it's sort of like a hot button topic, even on this show. Um, less so now that we've done Blackula, but I still feel like it's you know there's it's touch and go. All of these there are, are certain ramparts that need building when you talk about black exploitation. And, you know, we talk about things like merit, you know, things that are inherently valuable from a cinematic standpoint. And, like, the biggest merit Mondo Kane has is existing. The sheer fact that when you watch Mondo Kane now in, in, you know, our time, 
it's not even it's it's this like biz, it's just bizarre to it, what you're seeing on the screen isn't even the weirdest shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's honestly some of the most relatable shit because you're like, yeah, sure, people fucking dance. Yeah, sure, there's like weird state fairs where people like dress and do, you know, they march in formation. Right, yeah, people in other countries eat weird food. That's crazy. That's literally on the Food Network. There's like a whole show about it on like syndicated cable television that has like daily reruns. And Mondo Kane was like, can you believe people eat snakes? <laughs> And then, you know, then there's all the stage shit. That's the stuff that like really I could see an argument being made that that this this is this is where the danger comes in, you know, because you have I can't say for certain, but I'm willing to bet that the gaggle of women chasing the men up the trees probably isn't real and also like the, you know, women in cages being fed food so that they're fat enough to fuck, probably also not a thing that happens. And putting that in your movie and then being like, yep, we're showing you the world to a culture in the sixties that hasn't really gotten out much. You know, we're basically, you want to talk about how xenophobic America is in, in current times. It's because of Mondo Kane. It's because some rumors got started that Chinese people eat dogs. And now we call it the China virus. It's because of Mondo Kane. Well, the influence of this is, pretty far felt, whether it's the influence or the sort of tendrils that uh that reach back or I mean there's there's certainly a I would rather I'd like to amend my log line to say it's like uh, you know, a national geographic, but you learn disinformation and also it's racist. <laughs> like, I feel like that needs to go that needs to get baked right into it too. At the very least we can be Granted some reprieve that it is so laughable, it's mm-hmm. it's somehow easier to watch. Totally. And I also think that, you know, we've kind of like, Mondo is almost a word that's been uh, reappropriated or sort of like taken back from the evils of the racist world <laughs> film. Because it is no longer so, you know, it's just big, it's extreme. I think Mondo means extremely or, or right. grand or whatever the fuck. Yeah. But we use it to describe so many things in film now. It's a whole, I mean, it's like a draft house style. Sure, it's is, just a word, uh, man. It just yeah. means, it means that fucking... Sure, there's Mondo the company, but I even yeah, just mean that company. sort of like <laughs> that Fantastic Fest brand yeah. of just mm-hmm. out there to the nines uh, kind of movie. Yeah. And it is still whether it's intentional or not intentionally tied back to Mondo Kane or not it does still kind of fulfill this promise of you know the basic promise of weird cinema which is we are going to show you stuff you've never seen before sure you know we are going to take you to places you have never been and I think that's the one thing that Mondo Kane really illustrates Mm -hmm. is that people were signing up to see things they've never seen before yeah um you know goofy segue 29 palms 29 palms 29 palms is my favorite one so far oh is it really it's big time big time my my favorite one okay just talk to me straight about that before we get into any of it well i mean you know um you know from my like enduring love of quentin depew you know from some of the like story ideas that i've told you that i had 
that like one of my favorite things is blue balling an audience. Um, you referred to it prior to hitting record as the shaggy dog story, which I think is completely on point, but I just love that this movie is essentially about nothing, but like the real way, not the Seinfeld way. And, uh, it's just like people that you're like, not sure you like or don't like, or are even in the same, like, like parts of the movie you're like, yeah, I'm on a road trip with these people. And then parts of the movie you're like, do they know that there's even cameras on? <laughs> do they know I'm on the road trip? With yeah, them? exactly. Wait, am I the monster? Yeah. And then, you know, it's just like ends with, you know, your classic fucking rape and scrape. Oof. And don't like that. It's <laughs> don't know what it is. Don't uh, like it. <laughs> but it's uh it's i just really i mean part of it i think is really funny because like you mentioned it's like there's this there's this um there's this profoundly american particularly like californian um escapism that is joshua tree which Uh for anybody for anybody not not immediately familiar 29 palms is like the cheap city immediately next to Joshua Tree. Yeah. It's like a little cheaper. It's the Arco gas station. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's Joshua literally Tree. Joshua Tree, but like a cheaper zip code. And so, you know, there's like sort of this like American escapism that is Joshua Tree, thinking back to like Ingrid Goes West. But to like take this this like duo of characters. It's just funny because I feel like if you want to talk about really what this movie is to me is like hyper extrapolated escapism. You're like escaping from society. You're escaping from understanding each other's fucking language. You're escaping from normalcy. You're escaping from your clothing. And it's just like, you know, we talked a few journey episodes back wild angels about, uh, I think it's actually the hell ride tagline, which is rebellion against all there is. Yeah. But there is like sort of an existential rebellion against all there is in 29 palms. And I like, I live for that. Did you really quick before we move off it too much? Do you want to define the shaggy dog story? Yeah. Um, so the, there's this there's this sort of because um, I think that's going to be so vital and and understanding, yeah. especially that part of the film. It's the idea of a, an anticlimactic anecdote. I actually have it written down. Like what? I don't think it's the original, but it's one of. There's two that are like the original shaggy dog stories, but one a boy owns a, an uncommonly shaggy dog. People uh, kept telling him that his dog was very shaggy. And then he found out that there are, in fact, shaggy dog contests. He enters his dog and continues to win in local and regional shagginess competitions until finally he's at the Great Shaggy Dog Championships, at which point the judge examines his shaggy dog and tells him that his dog is, in fact, not that shaggy. Not that shaggy, too. It's such a... (laughs) Um, but there's another version of the story that I actually like better, which is uh, a, a wealthy family. I don't know why it's funnier, but it's got to be a wealthy family puts an ad in the newspaper saying, we want a shaggy dog. We'll pay top dollar. And a man from Europe brings his shaggy dog all the way to New York City where this family lives to their home to present the shaggy dog. And he opens the door. The butler opens the door and he says, I'm here with my shaggy dog. And the butler says, that dog is way too shaggy and slams the door. Yeah, so these are, you know, we talked about this back, if you're on the Patreon, if you're not on the Patreon, get on there, but we talked about this with the movie The Aristocrats. Mm -hmm. We talked about anti-humor, I think of the shaggy dog joke, if you want to call it that, as like anti-storytelling too. Mm -hmm. But I mean, 
I don't think I even need to explain what it has in common with 29 Palms. If you haven't seen 29 Palms, the film that started it all, this is the movie, the reaction of which created the term the new French extremity. We'll talk about that. Give me a second. I mean, basically the log line is nothing happens and then a thing fucking happens because anytime there's one of these movies, of course the thing does happen. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, you talked about it. I mean, they're they're on a trip to Joshua Tree. They don't really speak each other's languages, but they kind of bond over French. And there is a, a connection they forge again and again having sex. But they're also constantly in this like ever-present danger. Mm-hmm. Part of really going beyond the log line, like, okay, so if it's a movie where nothing happens, what's going on in the movie? You know, it's playing with a lot of film conventions. And I think that's also what Shaggy Dog does is it kind of sticks the middle finger to, oh yeah, okay, so three-act structure. This is how it goes, and then we fuck around over here, and then in the end it comes home here. And it just kind of, it sets up the whole Shaggy Dog story, and then at the end you get kicked in the face instead of uh, given a a nice little wrap-up. Yeah. I am so happy that you like the nothing part of this film (laughs) because... What really upsets me in the reaction to 29 Palms is that everybody, you know, this is a much discussed film because it's where a lot of this discussion began taking place on all of these movies we've been covering. And what everybody wants to talk about, Michael, is the fucking ending. Yeah. And so, you know, people write about, they discuss uh, 29 Palms, there's critics arguing about it, and they argue about the end. People go, yeah, 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 like, you know, the nothing happens. And this is another movie where I feel like we've done quite a few shows about, uh, you know, a movie where nothing happens and it challenges the audience. And there's some stuff to chew on. It's not just there just to sort of um, fill the mandatory running time. Like, (laughs) it is an idea itself that's presented. So... If you'll allow me, it is such a Michael thing to do to want to talk about the nothing part <laughs> of 29 Palms. Uh, this, I'm just like very, uh, very happy that you like this movie and especially that fucking part. It's, there's so much of, I mean, you know, it's these characters, deep down, I think if these characters could speak the same language, they wouldn't give each other the time of day. They have like conflicting problems, right? You know, we see, right. obviously we see where the movie ends, uh, the ultimate ending of the movie. But, you know, we see this kind of like anger problem in mm-hmm. the male protagonist. Mm-hmm. And then in the female protagonist, you know, she seems to, she's constantly questioning like, do you really love me? Mm-hmm. She's jealous of him looking at another girl. She's uh, breaking down into tears. And so we have... These two flawed characters, I mean, obviously, I think being a little murdery is a bigger flaw, but that's coming from someone who randomly breaks down into tears, so what do I know? And we're exploring their relationship and and how they connect each other through these sexual experiences. But more importantly to getting to the the work of the film is, I think, how they flirt with danger. Sure. And how they kind of like, the nothing is really like, let's play in the road 
oh, no cars are coming. Right. That's the nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, let's, uh, let's lay on this rock. Oh, we could get a burn. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like these sort of challenges of, uh, will this be dangerous? Right. But it's done in such a mundane way that I feel like I mean, it's kind of making the audience go, wait, is this maybe dangerous? Sure. Or am I like trying to impose narrative no, danger onto the movie? It's Crispin Glover and Hot Tub Time Machine. Like it's, there's, you know, they run over the dog and you're like, ah, here's the moment where it all comes to a head. And the dog's <laughs> like, whoa, that scared me. And then runs away. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I guess it's not the dog. Um, but no, you I mean think you're looking the, for a, you're looking for a conflict in the plot. What's going to happen? Yeah. yeah, but I don't feel I'm not like I'm not like begging the movie to feed me conflict because I'm constantly like wondering. There's this thing, and I don't know if I don't know if you if you read it this way, but there's this thing that I think is like kind of disgusting, but like also like painfully painfully real about this movie, which is that the the male character has like a serious like rage, but like specifically like a masculine rage to him. It's something that people don't really, I don't think people really, really hit it as well as this movie does, which is that like, there's this like, and it's not always rage, but there's like this disgusting masculinity that wells up in human males. It it does. There's the, I think the closest thing is the like social joke about like crying after masturbating. There's this thing where you're like, I'm a tough man. And then you like come on something or in something. And then you're like, okay, wow, that was crazy. I just like came that demon. And this movie (laughs) deals with that. I don't know if you like read it that way, but like he gets pissed and then they fuck. And then like things are good for a little while. Oh, yeah. yeah. Until he gets pissed off. And then they fuck until he gets fucked. And then the masculinity is unbridled. He needs to like... Oh yeah, well, that destroys him. Yeah, but it's it's because, you know, like, you know, it's not... I don't see the sacredness of like men not getting fucked by other men or whatever, but there's definitely something to the masculinity of this character being the, you know, the the rape, I think. I think the murder is a product of this guy's toxic, like extreme violent masculinity. Mm. And I think that the rape is, it's it's basically, you know, if he were able to fuck something else, it calms him down. But when he gets fucked by another guy who's who's essentially, God, this is getting really heady, but fortunately it's French, so I feel like I'm allowed. Um, so when that guy, who's like a dangerous, you know, desert hillbilly, that guy fucks the main character. And you know what happens to him? The demon escapes his balls, but it ejaculates into the main character, and now he's got double demons. Yeah, right, right. Well, it's not. It's not entirely <laughs> I like really- I still think you're out there, of course. Uh, <laughs> but like, it's not out of what the movie is talking about. Look at um, them sitting and having a happy ice cream, and you know the camera's on him, and he's brooding, and it's awful, and he's mad, and he's ready to throw a fucking punch. And then it's on her, and she's happy and ecstatic, and it hangs on her for a while, and we see her laughter get bigger and bigger, like the argument is sort of like dissipated. It cuts back to him. He's still just as pissed. Mm -hmm. You know, the Jerry Springer scene. I mean, again and again, we're sort of seeing just these, the whiplash of the two reactions that these characters have to things. And his is very rooted in, you know, in this boiling up violence. Even their sex mm-hmm. is like 
violent and every time anybody even when the rapist orgasms in this movie yeah it's just like such a weird yeah it's an exorcism yeah he and you know talking about the marines and you know he has like the marine shaved head at the end and so we're dealing with another uh example of masculinity and sort of this like the same kind of jealousy that she's having but he can't he can't circle it because you know it must not be named that would not be the masculine thing to do so when this movie came out, people didn't talk about this stuff. They talked about it a little bit, but mostly this big article comes out. I think it was an art forum. And the guy who wrote it, you know, you can go look it up and read it. I'll link to it on the site if I remember. But this is where the term the new French extremity came from within this article. And it was used to kind of put down the film because if I remember right, the guy who wrote the article was a big fan of Bruno Dumont's other movies. There is one that is mentioned all the time with the New French extremism, which of course is you know a very loose movement anyways of people who are not participating in the movement but get drugged into it. But uh, he did this movie, the translation is Humanity. And it's, it's another movie, very similarly, that although this one is in France, it's a lot of nothing happening and sort of uh, asking you to develop the meaning. It really does, like if I'm being frank, it asks a lot of the audience. That stuff is there to chew on and it's interesting, but for Bruno Dumont to move outside of France, you know, this was a guy who was very, there's almost like a patriotic sense of pride to not just his film, but a lot of these movies coming from France. And we don't see... You know, we have not seen an American influence yet in these movies, even though um, Intimacy, which he mentions in the article, is, uh, is in English. It's certainly not an American movie. And so when this, when this uh, prideful kind of French filmmaker comes to fucking Joshua Tree, comes to 29 Palms, names the movie after 29 Palms and spends it in like, the American Outback, you know, the dangerous, he's basically doing like a deliverance style movie, but in a, he doesn't know where he is, just in the middle of the California desert, you know. Mm -hmm. He is an outsider to America and this movie probably looks to the French as we try to, to figure out what these movies are talking about collectively. You know, We've talked before about not knowing exactly what the political climate is in France or what's going on there, but imagine being French, seeing this string of French festival-heavy films, and then one takes place in America and is largely English, and it's, it's probably reading like it's doing hostile-type things. You know, the like fear of, right? we talk about hostile as a fear of going overseas type movie. Oh, you go to one of those Scandinavian countries, anything could happen. And I think that's how this movie probably reads. Oh, you go to America and who knows what the, in the American truck stops at the American gas stations and there's seedy hotels where you're just trying to have sex in the pool and a bunch of kids could splash you at any moment. We don't know what kind of dangers, you know, like... They might have three-legged dogs over there in America. We don't know what kind of backwards (laughs) place that is. So I think it's probably a reading like that. And I think that put this critic off. And he wrote this article kind of roping this movie in with a lot of the movies that might not have had a very clear relationship. But, you know, 
we talked about ozone. Gaspar Noé, I think, was was probably the person. It's been a, I, maybe I should have read this article before we did this show, but I kind of felt like I didn't want to make the whole thing about it. However, we've had a bunch of episodes beating around the bush on what is the new French extremity. So I just think it's time to draw the line in the sand. So at this moment, all these movies are coming out. And we talked about starting with See the Sea. We talked about Criminal Lovers, Polar Axe, Baise Moi. And you and I have talked about uh, Trouble Every Day on the show before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We saw last time we did this, it gets a little murdery within my skin. And since then, you know, a lot of big stuff has happened retroactively looking back at this as a movement. We've seen entries like A New Life or Secret Things that kind of read like a TV novella sort of movies, special interest, lesbian TV movies, the pornographer, I think was mentioned in this article or um, movie that came out here as porn theater. But more importantly, we have the big stuff that we know, Demon Lover, which we did on the show, comes out around this time, mm-hmm. Irreversible. So now we have I Stand Alone and Irreversible. And Catherine, I, I I'm spacing on her last name, but the woman who did Romance has also done a movie called Fat Girl that I feel like really fits in with with a lot of these movies that are just unnecessarily mean. Mm-hmm. And so what he was really pointing out in the article was what he called the growing trend of shock tactics in French cinema over the last couple of years, maybe even the last decade. He really saw this as movies that are being normal movies and then boom, a shocking, unnecessary <laughs> thing happens. Which, I mean, you know, as, uh, as somebody talking about Mondo on the show, I feel right. like <laughs> it's kind of insane to, to go, oh, there's an unnecessary... I, I can't believe people treated 29 Palms like, oh yeah, it was a totally great movie until that weird thing happened at the end. Like, that's the movie. Mm-hmm. That is why, you know, it's the, it's the sort of anti-punchline that, that truly elevates it even above the shaggy dog kind of joke. For it to, I mean, imagine the Shaggy Dog story if it just keeps going or if the kid enters the right. contest and <laughs> then you walk away. It's sort of like, what mm-hmm. What were we, you need the moment to go and fuck you for listening. Yeah. I'm out, you know, that's how you know it's over. And to not want that is kind of crazy. But the real takeaway here is that somebody shows up to go, hey, fuck all these movies that are doing this like new French extremity kind of thing. And then movies hear that and they go, yes, new French extremity, good idea, right with you, buddy. (laughs) It's like they didn't read the rest of the article and they show up and do this other stuff. And so this is is the first time somebody calls this out, but it is mostly movies that are retroactive. Now, around the same time, another movie we won't cover... Actually, another one of Catherine's movies, Anatomy of Hell, comes out that's pretty important for these. But I was going to say High Tension, mm-hmm. which in our minds, I think is where, you know, when you introduced New French Extremity to me, it was sort of like, oh, movies like High Tension. Right. High Tension is the one that crosses over to the United States because, yes, it's an art film, but it is mostly a horror film. You can read it, you can watch it and just basically read it as a horror film with a twist. And it looks more like what America is doing in horror. And 
most importantly, not doing in horror, I guess. It's a consciousness shock to America, but really kind of doesn't fit in this definition of, right. you know, this art form definition of New French Extremity. High Tension is not a movie that has a shock scene in it, but is otherwise, you know, a dramatic affair. Mm-hmm. It's a slasher movie. Right. Now, it does like, it's a, it's a movie that shock scene after shock scene and then shocks its own shock scene with an even shockier <laughs> right. ending. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in a way, I guess it does kind of fit this. But it is the clear line in my mind where we go, oh, we're doing horror stuff with this. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like the right thing to do was to take some time and go, okay, well, what is this? But by now, we've seen so many of these movies with the audience that we all kind of know what, I mean, dear listener, I don't know that I'm telling you anything. <laughs> you know, I know we're all excited to finally get to 29 Palms and figure out what the fuck New French Extremity is. Like I've been keeping a secret, but in truth, the genre retroactively kind of became something else. You know, we have discovered and defined and redefined what it really meant so many times. And then to arrive here and go, oh, you know, this is uh, this growing trend of shock tactics in French movies sort of seems like an ill definition for what eventually became this. And at the moment of 29 Palms, which is, you know, 2003, um, the same year as High Tension. So while this is being given a name in France or being given a name amongst the filmmaker and kind of the programmer circuit... High Tension as a movie, as a horror film, is now going overseas. America's about to pick up on it. And that's when you're going to see this wave of American horror movies mm-hmm. that are kind of going like, oh yeah, what's a new French extremity? It's like, do really hard R movies? Yeah, 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 got it, got it. Don't worry <laughs> about it. We totally got this. So immediately it's like by the time it was even given a name, it was already, people were just, it was sort of like the taste for blood was in the air. Right. And people were going to pick that up and run. And I think from here on out, everything we're going to see is is kind of digging, you know, it's horror filmmakers sure. who are now going to try their hand at this. Right. But it is good to just get a couple fuck you audience movies. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, and fuck you for listening. We have a website. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, have to, on our cross-pollination note, also have to give a uh, another shout-out to some cross-pollination. We have um, the woman who played Isabel from Pola X coming back as Katia in, mm-hmm. in this movie. <laughs> we'll see if we see any more of, uh, of these crossovers, but not next time. Next time, I want to thank Charles Crawford, Ben Ecker, Brad Parker, and Yoakam Vernon. They're, they've been around. They have been around. This isn't their first rodeo. This isn't their first new French rodeo. So we got something kind of weird on the show next time. You concocted this based on a movie that I was just trying to wedge on here because it's so weird. I don't know what to think about it, like coming back out or whatever the fuck the story is. What's crazy is I don't know which movie you're talking about right now (laughs) Okay, of the two. Um, Next time on Double Feature, we're going to talk about film. But not film. We're talking about film. Oh yes, this is a constant struggle of uh, of my life these days. Analog, analog film. I've taken to calling it the thirty-five millimeter stills. So next time on Double Feature, we are going to do 
one hour photo, which is a movie I'm shocked we haven't done. So we're doing one hour photo and then we're doing that with Arabato, which is not a new movie, but it's a movie that you can newly get. Right. Yeah. I don't know exactly what the deal with this is. It is newly available, I guess. I don't know if we'll even get to the bottom of it next time, but the story that I'm told with Arabato is that this movie came out and was never released in the U.S. until now. And you can now see it. The original year was 1979. So, I don't know, the the sort of um, advertising and stuff around it was basically like, here's a brand new movie you couldn't see before. And we tried to program this on the show, and true to form, we couldn't see it before. So <laughs> now, now we actually can, and here it is. Oh. And then also one hour photo. My how things have finally developed. Ew. Ew. Watch more fucking film. <laughs> All right, bye.